Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Now here's the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and my current life theme song is probably One Jump Ahead from Aladdin, where he's being chased by a bunch of pointy swords. <laughs> Does that have anything to do with the fact that you are currently in the middle of midterms? Much. It has much, actually. Funny you should ask. <laughs> my name is Caitlin, and my theme song for the week is definitely the Star Wars Imperial March, because I feel like this week... My presence is the kind that makes people cower in fear and in really, really good scenarios, shrivel up and just die. So, oh. <laughs> Caitlin is trying to out-edge me again, and I think this week she's succeeding because I'm going to have to go with Spooky Scary Skeletons. Also, I'm Cameron. I'm Jody Meadows, and my current theme song is Oblivion by Niani and Zadie Wolf. I'm on deadline. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. So as you just heard, this week we have special guest Jody Meadows on. She wants to be a ferret when she grows up and has no self-control when it comes to yarn, ink, or outer space. Still, Jody manages to write books. She is the author of the Incarnate Trilogy, the Orphan Queen Duology, the Fallen Isles Trilogy, and a co-author of the New York Times bestsellers My Lady Jane and My Plain Jane. The final book in the Fallen Isles Trilogy, When She Reigns, just released last month. Uh, tell us a little bit about your books, Jody. Um, well, so the, the latest book is When She Reigns. Um, it's from the Fallen Isle series, and they're about a girl who really, really loves dragons. And in her world, the gods and the people have an agreement. As long as there's dragons in the world, they're the islands who are the gods will stay. But the moment that there starts to be not as many dragons, the, the gods may or may not abandon them. So... When there's some secret dragon trafficking and the dragons are going extinct, there could possibly be some problems. I just want to say before we get started, I am a Jodie Meadows super fan. So if you haven't read her books, you should do it now. Oh, thanks. Today we have a fun topic and maybe you'll catch on to the theme of it pretty quickly. But that we're talking we're talking about themes today. Okay, Google says a theme is an idea that recurs in or pervades a work of literature. A theme, to me, is a recurring idea, uh, the aboutness of the book, the purpose of it. For example, in Harry Potter, there is lots of fun with wands and spells and funny jokes, but a theme of the book, and one of the things that makes us really connect to Harry, is that there's a theme throughout the whole book about choices being what make you who you are. It starts with Harry in the very first book choosing Gryffindor over Slytherin. And then it culminates in the very last book. And sorry if you haven't read these and I'm spoiling it for you. You should probably get on that. Um, it culminates in him choosing to die in order to save his friends rather than doing everything he can to preserve himself. We find out through all seven books that there are lots of parallels between him and Lord Voldemort. They're both orphans. They both 
come from half pure-blood, half not families. They both are given very similar sets of choices, but they make very different choices, and that's what makes them who they are. And that becomes a very important thing both to Harry and to Lord Voldemort. I would kind of throw in that I think a lot of times when we're talking about themes, they kind of translate into a statement that, if not the author, that the book is making about how life, the universe, and everything works. So for today, you just take the Harry Potter example. You could argue that Rowling or Harry Potter is making the argument that your choices define you as opposed to, uh, as opposed to circumstances defining who you are. Okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute and say, why themes then? Who, who really cares about bigger messages? Because I like to read to escape. So I would, so the very first argument I would make is that even if you're reading to escape, that themes are inescapable in any kind of a story. Because what you choose to put in and what you choose to leave out is making a statement about what you think makes a good story. So if nothing else, you're sending a message across about storytelling. Mm. And then if you broaden it and it's like something that involves, you know, people making choices and doing things, how you portray the consequences to them making choices and doing things says a lot about how you or the book thinks that life works. So you're going to have themes whether you want it or not. People like to find patterns in the things that they read or watch or consume. And so regardless of whether or not you put a theme into your book, people are going to find one. I feel like that's something that scares people about writing is that people will take something that they've written and assume something about them, some view that they have about the world or whatever. And the, the truth of the matter is that usually people can find those things that are in your work. I have a cool Stephen King quote from his mem it's like a memoir slash writing book called On Writing. If you haven't read it, it's really fun. And it's really helpful, too. He said, I'm quite sure that I never thought much about theme before getting roadblocked on writing The Stand. I suppose I thought such things were for better minds and bigger thinkers. I'm not sure I would have gotten to it as soon as I did had I not been desperate to save my story. I was astounded at how really useful thematic thinking turned out to be. And I think that that's true. If you have a theme that you come up with based on something that you've already written. I feel like themes don't usually come from the front end of writing. They come from the back end. After you've already written down your story, your character arcs and everything, you'll see similarities. You'll see patterns yourself because we're people who find patterns. And sometimes seeing those patterns will help you come up with a better conclusion or climax to your story. Seeing those patterns will help you to see, oh, my character arc isn't quite finished because it needs to go along the lines of this theme. And it can help you see how to foreshadow things better. It can help you see what a, a more satisfying ending will be. For example, um, in Where the Crawdads Sing, which is about a girl who basically raises herself, she has very few references from adults at all, she looks to nature instead. She sees the way animals interact. And she bases the what she believes about other people's behavior on what she sees from animals and becomes this amazing naturalist because that's what she does. Anyway, and the story, which is much more nuanced than I'm making it out to be, some of the really huge plot turns are based on those thoughts that she has about making people into or relating the way people act to the way animals act and trying to process them in that way. So choosing to be an active thinker about your themes allows you to have another level of control over the experience you're creating. If I can 
if I can springboard over that, since we've basically agreed that things are going to happen whether you want them to or not, if your goal is to provide escapism, I think it's actually really important that you're conscious of the things you're using so that you don't accidentally create thematic dissonance. Because if all of a sudden the internal logic of your story isn't following, that will throw people out of the story and it won't be as escapist as it could be. I agree. And one of my big issues is I, I always get bogged down in the details. So taking a step back to look for those themes and to kind of examine what your core of the story is, why why you love the story, what makes you passionate about it can really help. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I was just thinking that themes are what makes the reader or what makes the story resonate with the reader because they're often at least in the, in the case of a lot of commercial writing, there the themes are things that resonate or that are currently in the public mind. Um, like right now, we're talking a lot about climate change, and so a lot of books have a theme kind of around that. Identity is always very popular with teenagers because teenagers are literally trying to figure out who they are and what they're going to be when they grow up. So now that we're agreed that themes in books are good, the question of the day... <laughs> How does one put a theme in one's book? I think they generally just show up, whether, like you said, whether you want them or not, they're in there already. They're the things that you probably are wrestling with in your own mind. Here's another Stephen King quote for you. Starting with questions and thematic concerns is a recipe for bad fiction. Good fiction always begins with a story and progresses to theme. So like I said before, themes are not usually things that appear beforehand like you might want to write a book about something that matters to you but a lot of times you're not going to be able to see those themes and connections until after you've already written at least that's how it works for me it's different for every writer and and you'll figure out what works for you obviously but if you are starting with the question how do I put themes into my book just look at what you've already written. They're probably there. All of us have things that are important to us, and those things tend to trickle into our writing. For example, most of my books feature a character who believes that there's something fundamentally wrong with them, that they don't fit in with other people, and that the reason they don't fit in with other people is that there's something that's not quite right about their own minds or their own thoughts or their own feelings and that they need to adhere to the general societal whatever. This probably harkens back to me being a slightly awkward teenager and feeling like I didn't fit and then growing up and realizing that it's not about fitting, it's about just being a person and that nobody actually fits and that you have to accept who you are and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. The, the important thing about theme is that you have to make it look intentional even if it didn't start out that way. I had a music teacher when I was in high school. I was a choir nerd. This is probably part of the reason I felt like I was kind of a weirdo. I hung out in the choir room and did never leave. I had a music teacher who was getting his master's degree in music, and one of his assignments was to create a piece of music out of found audio. Like instead of using instruments or whatever, you had to use the, the sound of people walking or conversation or the sound of a drink pouring into a glass. You know, you've heard stuff like that where it's not music or it's not meant to be music, it's a bunch of sounds that have been put together that turn into a song. And so he showed us this thing that he had created out of found audio. And I kept waiting for it to like come together, for there to be like a beat, for something to make it feel cohesive, like it was intentional, but it never quite got there. It was just a jumble of sounds that was almost something. And I feel like that's the risk that themes can put into your writing. If you if you have like connections, things that almost 
get together, then it has that unfinished feeling of, I know these are supposed to go together, but I cannot see how they do, then that's a problem because it'll make people stop reading or not understand your writing. And so you have to go through and look at your coincidences, like your character arc that kind of almost fits into your your actual plot arc, like whether it's um, found family or or that power corrupts, or that men are doomed regardless of the choices they make. I don't know what your theme is, or what it is that you believe about the world, or what your characters believe about the world. We'll say that instead. But you have to take those things, and you have to tweak your dialogue, and tweak your character arcs, and then tweak your climax so that they all fit along that spectrum, and show whatever it is that you're trying to share. You can create parallels, between characters, like between Harry and Lord Voldemort, you can create parallels between your beginning and your ending, where things start and end the same way, but with different results, or the exact same results if your character is like reverted back into something. You can use your theme to explain backstory and character arcs. There are lots of things that can line up if you go back with your last revising eye and make them do so. (laughs) I agree, and... It reminds me of what Cameron said about how the themes will kind of be pulled out of your, you as the author's representation of life, the universe, and everything. Um, I'm a hardcore discovery writer, and most of the time I don't even know where my plot is going until I start writing. So I think for me, themes definitely do develop as I write and as my characters take shape and as I get a feel for the world um, I'm creating and what messages that world is sending about right and wrong, about choices, about identity, about all these different things. Yes, I find myself repeating themes a lot. Um, Most of my books deal with identity, and I realized recently that a lot of them have these um, inherited struggles of ancestors and parents and grandparents just kind of leaving things alone or like, oh yeah, we'll fix it, and then they never fix it. And now these teenagers have to save the world because... The adults didn't fix it when it was a manageable problem, and now everything is in chaos. That's one of the fun things about sci-fi and fantasy is that you can take a real-world issue that is difficult to talk about or difficult for some people to listen to even without having preconceived ideas about what the answer is. Because in sci-fi and fantasy, it removes the problem from the particulars that are in our actual world and goes back to the ideas. So it's a really safe way to talk about issues that people find controversial. Definitely. I think that most people can get behind saving dragons. I know I can. (laughs) So how do you avoid hitting a theme too hard and becoming preachy? This is kind of jumping ahead, but it seems like a good place to address this question. I think a really good idea is to just never name it. Um, Have your characters talk about it and discuss it and discuss the different viewpoints um, with each other and let them disagree, let them fight about it, but let them discuss the theme, but never like specifically name it. Otherwise, it seems like over the top. Something that you do need to look out for is becoming too on the nose. So when you're going back and you're tweaking and your revisions and stuff, I feel like you need to make sure that it doesn't fit too perfectly. And it has to be organic. Like it can't feel imposed by the writer. It has to 
fit in with the character arcs and their character progression. It has to fit in with the plot events. Your characters should be able to discuss the problem and show both sides of it. They should be able to make decisions that feel right to the character development that they've had. Mm, so consistency is key. Right, you want the themes to be just as satisfying as everything else in the story. I think another thing that can help you make sure you're keeping your themes useful instead of obstructive and heavy-handed is keeping a mindful awareness of why you're putting the theme. I think, for example, if I'm trying to, if I have a theme in my book that I'm trying to bring out, and I'm doing it because I'm interested in showing the perspective rather than converting someone else to the perspective, the the first is much more likely to be entertaining and resonant read rather than the latter. I really like that. Okay, well now we get to move on to the next exciting portion of our podcast where we critique a submission from our audience. So quick review, we try to keep these non-prescriptive. And if you'd like to check out the text of the submission and see all of our notes, check on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So a quick summary. In this submission, 12-year-old Lavender is sent to get her father after the pigs get out, threatening to destroy her family's garden. On the way, she sees blighted trees in the forest, which is worrisome. What are some things that we liked? I thought there were some really great details about the family and what kind of family unit they have in the relationships. I really liked that too. I feel like the relationships were depicted in such a wonderful way. I felt like I got to know the characters through Lavender's different communications and interactions with them because she has a very specific way of talking to all of the different characters, which I thought was wonderful. I agree. I will third that for sure. Mm -hmm. I also thought there were some really, throughout the whole submission, I thought there was really good blocking and really good tactile details. I could picture her home really well and I could picture what she was doing. I also liked the details about, or the hints that there was a wider world that the characters all live in and that their lives have a structure that fits in that world. I thought there were some really nice descriptions. One I particularly liked, she picks up this dead leaf and she says it was papery, delicate as a spider web held together only by its veins. And I just could picture that so clearly. So again, kudos for clearness, clarity. All right, then what are some things that might need a second look? So I would say that everything that's in this submission, with the exception of a couple paragraphs that I thought were a little POV breaking and a little um, info dumpy, but they were very short. Um, so they might not even be that big of a problem. Aside from those, Everything that's in this submission is absolutely fantastic. I felt, though, like it was missing driving action, or a lot of it didn't have a reason to be immediately on the page. I agree. I also had a hard time with that um, forward momentum. I feel like I didn't really believe that this character who has left her house to go get her dad to come and fix the pig pen so the pigs don't destroy their garden, or the whole town's garden, her mother's being quite melodramatic about it, But it doesn't actually seem like a very intense problem because her mother, instead of going to go run and find her the father herself, is like, I have to bake some bread. And then Lavender, after she's been sent to go get her dad to fix this ostensibly very, very serious problem, spends like a third of the submission looking for her boots and then playing with her sister and falling in the river and then finally finding her dad. And by the time they get back, the mother has already fixed the problem. So there's very little forward momentum as we go. And it actually feels almost like instead of a first chapter where there's a problem and that we get to know the characters as they try to solve the problem, it feels almost like we're tourists in this new land and Lavender is showing us things about herself and about her family 
intentionally rather than unintentionally. And there's a really fine line between those two things because a really skilled writer is going to, and this is this is very skilled writing. It's very well done. It's just not quite there, I don't think. Is going to show all of the characters personalities and the situation and the and the setting all in the context of action that is happening which this almost has but I don't believe that the action is happening and it feels contrived as a result it feels like the author thought oh I need to give Lavender a reason to meet all of her cousins and then introduce us to her father and the pics got out let's let her do that but there's there's never any actual there's nothing on the line for Lavender and I can tell based on how long it takes her to get to her dad. I agree too. And I'll bounce off that by saying I thought the prose was really clean. The description's beautiful and engaging, but I definitely was wondering why all these details, especially the family details and the time we spend getting to meet them at the beginning, why that was so important for us at the beginning. Because those details are wonderful, but we have to learn to care about the people before we care about the details. Right. Well, I was thinking a lot about the details as we were, as I was reading this, have you, you guys have seen the movie Interstellar, right? So there's this scene about the one-third mark where the, the ranger is docking with the Endurance. And that's a pretty typical scene in any sci-fi show or movie. The little ship docks with the big ship and then they are off on adventure. But in Interstellar, there's lots and lots of tension. They spend a lot of time on what is really basically like a mundane task. And you really get a sense of how difficult it is and how imperative it is that this go well. Otherwise, they could all die. But everything goes well. Later on in the movie, though, there's another scene where they need to dock with the Endurance. But there's a problem. There's been an explosion. The ship is spinning. And if it was hard before under really good conditions, it's basically impossible now. And what I liked was how well this basically mundane detail sets up for something really big and important later and becomes like one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. When we're seeing all of these details in um, Lavender's life, what are the things that are going to come back? What are we, what are we building all of these details toward? How do they, how do they build toward something much bigger and connect with the plot later? The issue though here missing the difference between this and the interstellar scene is that there isn't the driving tension with the initial, with our initial showcase. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. The tension has to be on the page and it has to be something that is not kind of just wiped away clean later that like they got the fence fixed without the dad. It's a fantastic slice of life for these people. It's mm-hmm. just that like you said, I think it, it's a little slow, even if it were in a adult fiction book, but since we know this is middle grade from the submission and I'm not a middle grade expert, but I think it's, it's definitely too slow for middle grade. One other thing I also wondered about was the introduction of the character Finn. So when we first meet him, he's kind of like this heartthrobby kind of character. And we're in a middle grade book. And it's totally okay to have romances in middle grade books. However, we are introduced to Finn in this context in the very first chapter of the book. Which means to me that romance is going to be something that plays very heavily into the rest of the book because it's one of the very first premises that is that's being made. And while you can do that in a middle grade book, like I'm not going to say there are rules, I will say that that pushes it into like tween territory. So you're between YA and uh, middle grade and tween. 
is great. It's awesome, interesting stories, but they're really, really hard to sell in a traditional market. So that's just something to consider. A lot of middle grade is focused a whole lot more on friendships and then like budding romance, where at the very end of the book, you might have like a first kiss or like, I mean, and there aren't any really set rules. And I'm not, I, I do write middle grade, but I'm not the be all and end all of, of middle grade. And I'm sure somebody can argue with me about this. But I feel like the point is not falling in love in middle grade. It's about friendships and developing that into something more maybe. But to have it in the forefront like that, right in the prime first chapter territory makes the kinds of promises I'm not sure you're intending to make. No, I agree. And I will admit that I'm very underread when it comes to middle grade books. And so it's definitely not my area of expertise. But I would be surprised to see a, a big romance put in this book or in any middle grade. I, so I, I don't think it stood out to me so much. I think just because it seemed very one-sided. There was a moment where he says, good to see you again, which made it feel maybe not so one-sided, which was kind of strange to me, but I just kind of understood it as, oh, a little girl has a crush on someone she knows. So I don't know if it really stood out to me too much. I was a little bit confused about the names. I also had a hard time with names. There were a lot of people introduced right away, which kind of threw me. And it's very difficult to introduce characters. So it's it's just something that we all struggle with, I feel. But everybody in this book seemed to have a plant name, but then their last name was Steel, which makes sense if they're all supposed to be miners. Presumably they mine iron. But that made me wonder, why, did, why are their first names all plants? Like, how does that connect with their jobs or their world? Even, even aside from that, like, personally, I'm a fan of plant names, but the fact that we get introduced to that many characters that fascinate all have plant names, it made it that much more difficult to keep track of these mm-hmm. two. I think my eyebrows went up when Paprika stepped on the page. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Maybe it's... You know, the mother and the father last name is Steele, and the mother's like a, a baker or a cook or something. So you've got lavender and paprika and sage, and I, I don't know about aspen or marigold, though. Oh, no? <laughs> Never had aspen pie? Yeah, neither. Mostly, I think this is um, an interesting opening, but I would recommend that the author take another look and see what's the most necessary things to keep in here. And how can we get to the main conflict of the story a little bit faster? Awesome. Then thanks to this author for submitting. We really enjoyed reading your work. And Jody, thank you for coming on the show. It was so fun to have you and hear your thoughts. Oh, thank you for having me. It was fun. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> Just a quick reminder to check out When She Reigns, the final book in the Fallen Isles trilogy, if you haven't yet. Next episode, we'll have Ben Grange, who is an agent at L. Perkins, here with us on the show. If you'd like a first chapter critique from him, get it to us ASAP. Thank you to our intern, Sarah Doyle, who is a wood nymph in the forest, says Bookstagram. Make sure you check out the monthly challenges she posts on Instagram. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on Twitter at LitService or on Facebook and Instagram as at LitServicePodcast. Or you can email us at LitServicePodcast at gmail.com. Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writerch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.